We are in the midst of a Marxist revolution. And the Marxist revolution has a pincer strategy that is absolutely squeezing middle America. You have it from the academy, that is the university system that teaches wokeness, which is Marxism, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You have it from the big tech, and that is social media, all of those platforms. They push political correctness and wokeness. And then you have it from other sides as well. You have it even in corporate world that is pushing on us, the educational world, the entertainment world. This pincer strategy is working on all sides. And then you have on top of that the government, the government that we now have, Build Back Better. That's what Joe Biden ran on. What do you what do you think Build Back Better means? Well, you have to tear down before you build back. And so that's what they're about. They're about tearing down the nation. If you don't recognize that to be the case, I can't help you because we have no borders. That is simply open borders. We have absolutely a socialistic system. Our our law enforcement is crumbling under the pressure from government, and we're absolutely facing a Marxist revolution in America, the likes of which our forefathers warned us about. So we'll talk about this Marxist revolution and woke ideology, and that's what our topic is today. So let me begin with a couple of illustrations. One of them is, and I basically, let me just back up and say this. I have two or three things, uh, actually four points that I would like to make. Number one, I want to talk about what is occurring, just a little glimpse of what's actually happening in America across the country. Number two, we want to do some defining of what is wokeness, and we have some good definitions for you on that one. What is it to be woke? And then number three, we're going to look at not only wokeness there, but what do they want you to do? What does the woke ideology demand of you? And then number four, what does God say on the subject? You know that we call this program Patriotic Pulpit, and that's a pulpit because we want to go back to God's Word. What does God have to say on these particular topics? So let's think about, first of all, by way of introduction, a couple of slices of what's taking place in the academy and other areas. Number one, Wellesley College, and this is told by Noel Marion. By the way, Noel Marion wrote a book called Awake, Not Woke. I had a whole series of lessons that I entitled after what she had called her book. Uh, but also there's another book by uh, Gad Saed who wrote about wokeness. Uh, there's also, of course, Paul Kengor. Uh, the Devil and Karl Marx writes about Marxism. And then, of course, there's Michael Rechtenwald, which is Beyond Woke, and it's a great, great book. And so these are some of the volumes that I recommend. So Wellesley College. Wellesley College is an all-female college in Massachusetts. It's where Hillary Clinton went to school. But they have become so infected by the woke virus that here's what has been taking place, according to Noel Marion, at the commencement exercises. And so when they come to, and they're singing America the Beautiful, they come to a portion of the song that says, a crown like good with brotherhood. Well, of course, that's not going to go, even though brotherhood is a generic term for mankind. But be that as it may, they want to change it to sisterhood. But some of them are not happy with that because that's that's too locked in to brothers and sisters, male and female. And so they say, well, let's change it. So some of them holler out when they get to that portion of the song, crown the good with siblinghood. So siblinghood is what they want to say. And so some are saying brotherhood. Most of them are saying sisterhood. Then you have some are shouting out siblinghood. And then others 
are shouting out brotherhood also because they're transgenders and they want to holler. So it's a mishmash of confusion is what it is. And that really is a slice, a microcosm of what's taking place in America. There's one woman there who wants to identify as a male. And as a matter of fact, she even puts it this way. I'll have to kind of look at the note on this one. She says she wants to identify as a masculine of center, gender queer. And she calls herself Timothy. So she applied for a job on campus at Wellesley College, and she was denied because she represents white male privilege. White male privilege. Well, it's almost it's almost you can't even make this up. It's absolutely so crazy. Same thing happening in the churches. This is an example from the Church of England happened two years ago. That is the Anglican Church. They had a big meeting, and they wanted to talk about uh, and one of the members, actually, one of the so-called lay members asked, what, what is our definition of a woman? You know, remember, of course, Katanji Brown-Jackson could not answer the question either. Well, I, I have to look at my biology textbook before I answer that question, or I'm not really uh, up on that. But be that as it may, the man's name was Adam Kendry. He asked the question of the Church of England's General Synod, and the right Reverend Robert Ennis, as he is called, the bishop, senior bishop, right Reverend Robert Ennis. There's a, there's a mouthful of titles for you. He said this. He said, well, we, there is no official definition which reflects the fact that until fairly recently, definitions of this kind were thought to be self-evident as reflected in the marriage liturgy. Now, he didn't answer the question, did he? And instead of saying, just kidding, he went on to tell us with Orwellian doublespeak that catered to the LGBTQ community said, well, the Living in Love and Faith Project, however, has begun to explore the marriage complexities associated with gender identity and points to the need for additional care and thought to be given in understanding our commonalities and differences as people made in the image of God. Blah, blah, blah. Couldn't answer the question. It's just like, what is wrong with people? Now, this is the Anglican Fellowship. This is the senior bishop, the right Reverend Robert Ennis. Can't define what a woman is. So it's not only the Supreme Court, some of the justices there. He goes on to say this. And by the way, they want you to know they're working on it, so don't don't despair. <laughs> the Church of England is working on it. He goes on to say the Church of England is keenly aware that issues of gender and sexuality are intrinsic to people's experience, the sense of identity in their lives, and the loving relationship that shape and sustain them. That's the website for the church, actually. He said, and the website goes on to say, we also know that the life and mission of our church, of the worldwide Anglican communion, are affected by the deep, sometimes painful disagreements among us which have been debated and discussed on many occasions over the years. Talking about how do you define a man or woman? Incredible, isn't it? You just, no one could have predicted such rank foolishness several years ago. I just absolutely, it's absolutely astounding. And the Lutheran church is no better. They have Nadia Bowles-Weber, she writes a book regarding the sexual revolution, and she says basically this. She says, in her experience, she says, we need to reconstruct the moral architecture surrounding sexuality. Now, think about that for a moment. Reconstruct the moral architecture surrounding sexuality. 
what in the world does she mean? Obviously, she means, you know, we need to put a stamp of approval upon homosexuality, transgenderism, women in the pulpits, and on and on it goes in spite of what the Bible teaches very plainly. That's what she's saying. But they want to put it in all this doublespeak talk. Now, here's a conservative school, and this this is... And this is from Oklahoma. This is Oklahoma Christian. And I went to Oklahoma Christian. They had, this was from 2019. They had a, they had a name on one of the buildings there that was Nicholas Brody Hardiman. And this is just to give you an illustration of how sensitive they want us to become. N.B. Hardiman was one of the great preachers of yesteryear. Born in about 1880 or so, died in the 1950s. And he had huge meetings at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee, baptized so many people into Christ, did so much good work. He was instrumental in introducing a black preacher by the name of Marshall Keeble to Freed Hardeman University, which was co-named after him. So OCC, or Oklahoma Christian OC, had Hardeman's name on one of the buildings in memorial to him. But someone went back and discovered that Another preacher by the name of Fort E. Wallace had brought some black preachers to see him at a tent meeting back in the 1930s, and Hardiman met them behind the big tent, and that was enough. Now, all of a sudden, oh, I mean, it's racist, and the idea is racist, and it kind of reminds me of the statement from by Richard Evans in his book regarding the Third Reich. He said, we have to remember that yesterday is a different country and people did things differently there, but no matter. That made people so upset. They're so sensitive to it. The one person at OC on one of the articles I read in the Christian Chronicle said, you know, I can't even worship in the building because his name's on it, and I knew that happened in the past, and oh, it's just terrible. So they took his name off the building. Now, I'm telling you that we have a revolution, and this turning upside down, everything that we know in our country Everything that we hold dear, not to say that everybody in the past made the decisions perfectly as they should have made, but be that as it may, it, this is absolutely the, re, the destruction and the restructuring of society along Marxist lines. So what's actually occurring? Well, number one, we have just basically a culture war, a culture war. Gad Saeed said this. He said, college campuses are becoming ecosystems of intellectual garbage. That's exactly right. It's just a complete culture war that's taking place. The poisoning of society, a revolutionary change in a society. We're revoking passages and concepts such as encapsulated in Genesis 127, God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, them, male and female, he created them, male and female, but we're revoking that. Well, we just don't know. There are so many identities that one can identify as. Not only that, but we're revoking the idea of science. Science is testing, having hypothesis, testing, drawing conclusions, going back and retesting. What is the physical evidence? What does it point to? But we're told that science is a white colonial way of thinking. Same thing with logic. Logic is drawing conclusions warranted only by evidence. That's what's used supposedly in our court system. That is, draw conclusions only warranted by the evidence. What does the evidence point to? That's logic. 
That's law, but we're told also that's a white colonial way of thinking. You don't want to be involved in logic on that one. So also regarding history. They're rewriting history. They're tearing down statues. They're tearing down, tearing names off of buildings, as we give an illustration a moment ago. And how about the business model? Vivek Ramaswamy writes a great book called Woke, Inc., and in it he shows that the business model in which businesses supposedly do right by their shareholders, those who have invested in the company, now they're not interested in those who have invested and making money for the people who have actually put their hard-earned money into the company. They're actually wanting to work on what is called a shareholder or stakeholder, rather, not shareholder, but stakeholder system. So they call it stakeholder capitalism. That is, we want to do good by everybody, and we want to do good to the environment, and we want to do good to this and that in other countries and the poor countries in Africa, and we want to be able to do good by this. It's all so much hypocrisy. It is absolute hypocrisy. Amazon, for example, fired a number of black workers to complain about some of the working conditions. They're not interested in real change. Same thing with Walmart. They hire China, Chinese workers to make all of the products. You can't go to Walmart and find something that's not made in China. And what's happening in China? Well, it's slave labor. That doesn't matter, though. It's all hypocrisy. But that's what's taking place in America. Now, sadly, I'm going to say this as we conclude this first portion. Where are Christian people? You know, the Bible teaches that perfect love casts out fear. If you have, if you are a Christian and you have a loving heart, then it casts out fear. <clears throat> I know, I, you know what? I just can't help but be reminded of one of the commentators on Fox News who made the comment during the COVID, COVID lockdowns. He said, Christians are running as scared as anybody else, but perfect love casts out fear. We should not be fearful as Christians. And number two, the New Testament teaches us to be awake, awake, thou that sleepest arise from the dead. Christ shall shine upon thee. Not be sensitive to all the real or perceived wrongs that have been committed against you or your class of people, but actually be awakened to what is occurring in society. And sadly, we're not able to do that because Christian people remain ignorant of the Bible themselves. We'll be back in a moment. So how do you define wokeness? What is it to be woke? And what exactly do we have in mind on that? And what is actually taught at the university? Well, wokeness refers to being basically in colloquial terms, hypersensitive to all the real or perceived wrongs that have been committed against you or your group of people. Just hypersensitive to every wrong that has been committed either now or reaching back into history. Now, it's completely different than the passage we mentioned from the Bible a moment ago, where Paul commands Christians to be awake, thou that sleepest and uh, awake, thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, Christ shall shine upon thee. That is, to be aware of the cultural movements and, and uh, movements in society, not that. What, what wokeness is about is to be sensitive to the wrongs that have been committed to me and in my group or what I've committed to other people in my group. And that's the idea. What kind of privilege have I had? And have I recognized that privilege of, as a white man? Have I recognized the privilege and so as to be hypersensitive to this. That's about what it is. Now, it falls along the lines of racism, gender, race, 
sexuality. And so how have brown-skinned people been wronged by white-skinned people, of which I'm a group that, that would be the wronging group, the one who has committed the atrocities here? Sexuality, how have we done wrong to the women and so forth? <clears throat> but I'll tell you what, here's, here's a better definition, one that really gets down to the nitty-gritty. This is from Michael Rechtenwald, and his book is regarding oh, uh, about wokeness. And it's, it's, a, it's a great, great book. Beyond Woke is the name of it. So he says, being woke is the political awakening that stems from the emergence of consciousness and conscientiousness regarding social and political injustice. So I've got to be conscious, conscientious about all the political injustices that have occurred to peoples now and in the past from my from my race of people, or my gender to others. Wokeness is the indelible inscription. Now, let me stop there. Indelible inscription. That means it's, this is why they say it's encoded in my DNA. It's in your DNA, Bill. You've, you're a white man, and you have this in your DNA. So this is an indelible inscription of the awareness of social injustice on the conscious mind. So we, we're going to bring this out. We want you to go to these these consciousness-raising sessions and bring this out, how you have uh, subconsciously been involved in this, because it's indelibly inscribed in, but you've been involved in social and political injustices because you're a white male. That's the idea. And so Rechtenwald goes on to say, eliciting the sting of conscience. So we've got to, we've got to raise your conscious level to where it stings and compels the newly woke person to change their beliefs and behaviors. So we got to change your beliefs and behaviors. So that's that was a long definition, but it's really, really accurate as to what's going on. It basically is cultural Marxism. Let me just stop here. Cultural. What is cultural Marxism? Well, classic Marxism is built on atheism, dialectical materialism. That's all atheistic, and so atheism is the starting point with Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. So after that, you have atheism. Now you have to have the abolition of private property. You have to get rid of private property because the the aggrandizement or collection of properties that you have uh, is an injustice, a social injustice, an imbalance in society. So you're going to have to get rid of and no longer any private property. This is, by the way, exactly where the United Nations is right now, isn't it? The United Nations tells us with the World Economic Forum we talked about last week is in the future, you will own nothing. This is Klaus Schwab, I'm quoting. You will own nothing and you'll be happy. Don't you know you'll be happy? Don't own anything. Well, who's going to own everything? Well, that will be that will be the man, Klaus Schwab or the organization, World Economic Forum, the United Nations. They will own everything and they'll They'll meet out to you what you, this is what they mean. They'll meet out to you what, what you need just to get by. And it includes eating bugs. They have a whole section in the WEF talking about the greatness of eating bugs. Well, okay, that's because you'll own nothing. That's the abolition of private property. That's what Karl Marx had to say. So abolish private property. By the way, Karl Marx preached violence, class struggle and violence. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. The class struggle was 
the bourgeoisie, that is the middle class people, the property owners, versus the proletariat, the workers, the worker bees underneath. And he says there's always this clash in society, and this clash brings about a synthesis, and then that will once again turn into another clash later on, and so it goes on and on and on. And it just stair steps until you have the perfect society of communism. Now, that's classic Marxism, but wokeness is cultural Marxism. It kind of stalled the classic Marxism in the 1960s. And so what they did was they said, well, look here, this is the academy. They said, well, we, we can't really engender strife because Marx was all about the workers of the world unite and violence. He was about violence. Marx himself preached violence. A lot of people don't understand that. But you read a little bit of Karl Marx, and even in the Communist Manifesto, talks about violence. And that is forcible, the forcible changing of society. He talks about force, using force in society. So be that as it may, now we're going to have to divide society up, not between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, property owners and the worker bees beneath, but now we're going to divide society along race, gender, and we call it diversity, inclusion, and equity. Basically, it's socialism, but they're lining it up along racial lines. So now you know why exactly we have black communities stirred up to anger point every time something happens. What is this? Marxism is what it is. Marxism is just straightforward communism. It has nothing to do with reasoning, just like what's taking place right now in Memphis, Tennessee, regarding the five black cops who killed a black man. But you know what? They've got to use that. So the Van Jones, who's a communist on CNN, says, you know, well, this is a white supremacy. They're just, they've inculcated white supremacy as these black cops. And they might have a black mayor, a black police chief. They might have a, in, in Chicago, they've got black mayors. They've got black city councils. They've got black cops and still have blacks shooting blacks. They still want to blame it on what? White supremacy. They had a black president at one time. It's still white supremacy. It doesn't matter. It's just absolutely ludicrous. So that's what's ha- taking place. That's cultural Marxism, and that is wokeness. To be to be woke is to be sensitive to all of these things. So as an illustration, Obama went to Occidental College. Occidental College, you can look on the website. It has Department of Critical Theory and Social Justice. And it brags that it teaches the principles of Marxism, psychoanalysis, the Frankfurt School, deconstruction, critical race studies, queer theory, feminist theory, and post-colonial theory. That's a direct quote. And notice that it was Marxism. It's exactly what it is. That's why, that's why I opposed him as president, not because of blackness or whiteness, because he was a Marxist. And he still is a Marxist. And we have a Marxist revolution going on now. Now, What do they want you to do? We'll talk about that when we come back from break. Now, what are we to do? That is what does the woke ideology demand of us to do? Now, some of these notes I've gleaned from Michael Rechtenwald. I recommend you read his book, Beyond Woke. Now, the reason that his book is so good is is simply because he was a professor at New York University. He calls himself a liberal left active social media participant. But he goes on to say, my skepticism and resentment in my political tribe's insistence that I affirm its crazy, increasingly crazy claims had been growing steadily to this point. My tipping point, he tells, came about, and his break from woke ideology, 
involved the pronoun wars because what happened was that University of Michigan, you may remember just, I think this was maybe 2019. Anyway, at the University of Michigan, you know, these college students, they're all into the wokeness and they are choosing their pronouns, what kind of pronoun they want to go by. And one student chose um, his majesty. That's He wanted to be called his majesty. I mean, pretty clever, but, you know, Michael Rechtenwald kind of started lampooning the whole concept of choosing your pronouns and talked about, and he made a satirical comment on social media. He said, before I could get to the social media page to see the response or the responses of it, he said, all pandemonium had broken loose. A histrionic reaction had ensued. Hundreds of hundreds of condemnatory threads and subthreads multiplied beneath the link. Dozens and dozens of Facebook friends had sent private messages demanding explanations and retractions. I was accused of betrayal, discursive violence, transphobia. I soon became a defector from the party line. The university would come down on me like a ton of bricks. So <clears throat> they eat their own is what Marxists do. And that's exactly what's taking place. So some of these notes here, some of the ideas I've just kind of uh, gleaned from Michael Rechtenwald actually siphoned some of those things down or kind of boiled them down to some basic points. So what are we to do as the woke ideology would have us to do in order to make good on all the wrongs that we've committed? Because we're oversensitive. We need to be hypersensitive to all the wrongs that we've committed. So number one, acknowledge your transgressions. That is, you can't redress the transgressions until you acknowledge your transgressions. What is your transgression? Well, your transgression is that you have acted carelessly from a position of privilege. You lived a privileged life, Bill, and you've been a white male. And because of that, you have had so much privilege. And so you have to acknowledge that. So you're going to have to have some woke works here. And so your transgression has been you've unconsciously lived in a position of privilege. You've denied to other people things, and you just don't know it, but that's that's the things you have to be aware of, number one. So you have to acknowledge your transgressions. Number two, you have to acknowledge. And how, by the way, how do you acknowledge it? Well, to acknowledge it, number two, you have to go to consciousness-raising sessions. What are these sessions? What are these woke consciousness struggle sessions. What are these? How are you going to struggle? That is, you're going to be preached to that you have lived a privileged life and you have to become aware of all of this. And so the struggle sessions is that you're going to have to have the woe is me attitude because you're white and you've got it in your DNA and you've been prejudiced against brown skinned people and against women simply because of the position that you have. So that there are two things that they will have in these struggle sessions. How have I been hurt? And what do I want? Or how have I hurt other people because of I'm a white male? And what do I need to do about it? So how, how, do, I, how do I make penance here? So how do I acknowledge it? That's the idea. So just as an illustration, I was talking, I was talking to a, a black woman. She's a, a Christian. I'm a Christian. She's a Christian. I said, you know what? I have some black students in my juvenile detention school. And I said, you know what? They might listen to you because I know he goes to this, this one particular individual goes to the same church as you do. And I says, I said, I wonder if you might just visit with him about it. 
and tried to help him out a little bit. I says, I, and here's how I put it. And you you know when I talk, you can, oh, okay, that's where you made your mistake. I said, because he's, he's a black man, a black young man, and you're a black gal. And I thought, because I call, you know, women gals. Well, I couldn't say anything else. That was it. That was, she went over the top right now. She, her demeanor changed. She looked at me like I was, because I'm not sensitive enough. She's sensitive. That's what they, you, that's what they slave masters called slave women. And you're just a slave master, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, I said, well, you know what? I am, I am trying to get you to talk to him about Christ. No, no, nothing. You can't discuss it now. It was just, it was over the top. She was so angry. She was sitting in the car. She threw it in gear and she's peeled out of the parking lot right here at the radio station where it, where it took place. Peeled out of the parking lot. You're just a white racist, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, you, you can't even talk about the soul of someone because of all this hypersensitivity to the language that you use. It's just absolutely over the top. So, Number three, what do you have to do? You have to recognize that sin is in the collective. Now, let me stop here. This is this is from Rechtenwald, and he will discuss, he'll tell you exactly what it means by this. He used to teach this in the New York University. Here's this quote. While wokeness begins with change on the level of the individual, it is not the individual that ultimately matters, according to the social justice creed. The redemption of the peculiar person the preservation of individual selfhood, this is not at all the issue. Wokeness is, after all, a group phenomenon in the sense that one is ultimately woke for the world. Wokeness does not only or most importantly alter the individual. In order to be woke, one must not only awaken but also demonstrate collateral commitment to make reparations for social and political injustice to help make a better world. Salvation is only at a collective level, and it therefore asks you to become an activist to change things up. And that brings us to number four. How do you rectify it? Because you've got to right the wrong. You've got to learn to fracture society and build back better. That's where, that's where Biden gets his idea, build back better. You can't build back until you tear down, and that's what he's about, tearing down society. In case you haven't noticed it, this is all spiritual. It has spiritual roots. Morality is class interest. Morality serves, that's what Marxism is. And like the snake in the garden, you shall be as gods. That's why it is basically a spiritual warfare. And would that more Christian people would recognize that. Now, before we take a break, I want to mention this, that we are on Spotify. You can go there. Patriotic Pulpit is the name of the show on Spotify. You can listen to it there. Or Amazon Music also, that app has Patriotic Pulpit, and that's the name of this show, Patriotic Pulpit. So you can go there as well. The articles I write are on the News Talk 1290 website. You can go there. You can help support the program. You can send money to American Liberty with Bill Lockwood. You can you can do it on the website. We have an American Liberty with Bill Lockwood website. Even though that's not the official name of the show any longer, you can go to the donate button that is there. So those are the avenues that I'm on, articles, as well as I preach in the Church of Christ at Iowa Park and and some of this I preached right in the pulpit, and you'll see why the next segment preached it right in the pulpit. And so you may go there and listen to, I have a long, drawn-out series on Awake, Not Woke, and other other things as well. So I will park coc.org. You can read all the things I write, 
You can hear the sermons I preached, and you can go there as well. So that's how you find me on whether it be social media, websites, radio shows, and the News Talk 1290 website. We'll be back in a moment. All right, so we've come down to the final segment. We're going to talk about what does God say about this Marxist revolution? What does God say about the woke ideology? And so we'll track along the same same basic points that we looked at the last segment, and that is acknowledge your transgressions. How do you acknowledge it? How have I been hurt collectivizing sin? We'll talk about that as well as how are we going to rectify it? So let's talk about those different things. What? So first of all, transgression. Transgression doesn't come about because I'm born into a privilege or born into poverty. I don't have, I don't have uh, goodness on me because I'm born into poverty. I don't have sin on me because I'm born into privilege has nothing to do with sin, has nothing to do with real transgression. Transgression has nothing to do with where you're born or what station you find yourself in society. It has nothing to do with how much money you have or how little money you have. It has nothing to do with how much privilege you have or how little privilege you have, how much education or little lack of education, whether you're born in Africa or America, that has nothing to do with sin and transgression. Transgression, according to God's word, is a violation of his law. Sin is a transgression of the law. First John 3 and 4. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Romans 4, 15. You're not born with it. In spite of what denominations teach that people are born in sin, the Bible does not teach that you're born in sin. You're not born in sin because of privilege. You're not born in sin because of Calvinism. One is not born in sin. Sin is a transgression of the law. It is something that you do. 1 John 3 and verse 4. Very, very simple. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has, everyone has transgressed the law of God. It is a decision that I make. It is a transgression. 1 John 3 and 4. Regarding David, remember his sin with Bathsheba? He said, stated to God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. It was true that he had sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah as well, but he recognized the primacy of the sin was against God. And that was his penitential psalm in Psalm 51. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was a king It had nothing to do with the fact that he was a privileged individual and he was actually served by the people in his kingdom. It had nothing to do with it at all. It had nothing to do with the fact that there were slaves in the kingdom. (laughs) Nothing at all. It had to do with the fact that he violated God's law by transgression with adultery. That's what sin is. It has nothing at all to do with with how you were born, into what class you were born into, whether you are born into the bourgeoisie or the proletariat, black or white, absolutely not. So <clears throat> that's number one. Number two, how are we going to acknowledge sin? Remember that was what we're going to, now do we need struggle sessions? Consciousness raising sessions? No, we need to recognize 
first of all, that the law of God is written on the hearts of men. Now, in Romans chapter 2, Paul tells us very plainly, as many as have sinned without the law shall perish without the law. As many as have sinned under the law shall be judged by the law, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now listen carefully. When the Gentiles that have not the law do by nature the things of the law, these not having the law are a law unto themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, the conscience bearing witness therewith, the thoughts one with another, accusing or excusing them, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men according to my gospel by Jesus Christ. That's verses 12 through 16. What did he say? He said that Gentiles that have not the law, that is those non-Jews, they didn't have the law of God, they have the law written in their hearts, the work of the law written in their hearts. That's number one. We all recognize that there is sin that we've committed because it violates the law that is written in our hearts. It has nothing to do, once again, with where you were born, how you were born, with how much money you were born with, and whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or whether you are born on the streets. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the law written in our hearts that we have violated or we have kept. So the Gentiles have a law written in their hearts. That's number one to think about. Now, here's something else. Regarding, regarding these struggle sessions, how have I been hurt? What, how, and what do I want? How have I, have, I, have I been hurt? I want you to listen very carefully to what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is his discussion regarding marriage and regarding divorce, regarding how one is to live, and they had problems in that particular time. And he addresses those problems and corrects them. You need to note that. But he makes a comment here in verses 18, or rather verse 17 and following, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, about where you're born and how you you came into Christ. And I want you to listen carefully to what he has to say. Only as the Lord has distributed to each one, as God has called each, so let him walk. Was any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. You know, there were were possibilities in that time, in that climb, even in the first century, where those who had been circumcised would actually try to reverse that circumcision, believe it or not. But that's, that's that's what they tell us in the first century. So was any man born being circumcised, or rather called being circumcised, has come into Christ being circumcised, that is a Jew, Jewish man? Seek not to be uncircumcised. Was any called in uncircumcision? Seek not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God, let each man abide in the calling wherein he was called. Now listen carefully to the next line. Were any of you called being a slave? Care not for it. Nay, even if you can be free, Use it rather, because he that is called in the Lord being a slave is the Lord's freedman, and he that was called being free is the Lord's slave. Now, that's pretty strong, isn't it? In other words, the New Testament teaching does not turn people into rabble-rousers and street thugs and going around talking about the underprivileged that they have had in life Instead, he says, don't worry about it. 
Why? Because there's a bigger issue at stake, and that is, does it further the cause of Christ? Care not for it, he says. Don't worry about it. Then he goes on to say, verse 22, verse 23, you were bought with a price. Become not slaves of men. That is, if you become caught up in Marxist ideology, woke ideology, you become a slave to other people and their doctrines. You're a slave either to God or you're a slave to Satan. One of the two. There is no third option. And Marxism, as Karl Marx proudly told us many, many times, himself was a slave to Satan. And you follow his ideology, that's exactly what you are. So Paul tells us, don't worry about that. Now, why would he say, don't worry about it? Because there's a bigger issue at stake, and that is whether you can further the cause of Christ. That's what he means by use it rather. Were you called being a slave? Care not for it. That is, don't worry about it, even if you can be free. That is, you're not to push to be free. The idea is there's a bigger issue at stake here. Use it rather. That is to further the cause of Christ. Now, people are going to ask me, Immediately they say, well, are you saying that Christianity endorses slavery? No, that's not at all the case. Christianity permeated hearts one individual at a time, not a social class, and changed Roman society over several centuries, and what had been a persecuted religion, Christianity, became a legal religion in the time of Constantine in the 4th century. But it was done by permeating individuals and changing their hearts one person at a time. That's why the way Christianity operates. It does not create street thugs. It does not make firebrands to go out in society and upheave society and turn it over. That's what we are lacking today. It's not about all of that. It's about changing one heart at a time. Here's another passage. I want you to think about this one. This is from Philippians chapter 1. Paul's writing, doing the writing here, and he's writing from prison. And as he's in prison, he writes to the church at Philippi and tells them some things he wants them to know. And one of the things is regarding the fact that he's in prison and how they're to regard it because how he regards being in prison. Now, can you imagine Paul having a, a, a struggle session, a consciousness-raising session? You know, he, could, he can gather all of his followers around him and say, you know what? I'm in here because I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew, and the Romans hate the Jews, and they're about to destroy Jerusalem. We know that's the case, and we're going to destroy us all. And the reason that I'm hidden here is because I'm a Jew. And he could get all involved in that, start the Anti-Defamation League in the first century, and get everybody all worked up about it. No. No, I want you to listen carefully to what he had to say. I would have you know, brethren, the things that have taken place here or happened unto me have fallen out rather that has happened according to me and have happened to the progress for the progress of the gospel so that my bonds became manifest throughout the whole praetorian guard and even all to the rest that most of the brethren in the Lord being confident through my bonds are more abundantly bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The one do it of Love, knowing I'm set for the defense of the gospel, but the other proclaim Christ of faction, not sincerely thinking to raise up affliction for me and my bonds. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and therein I will rejoice, I rejoice, and I will rejoice. I know this shall turn out to my salvation through your supplication and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What's the point? 
The point is there's a lot bigger issue involved, and that is, does it further Christ, yes or no? That's what we should be involved in. That's what our early founding fathers were involved in. That's what they wanted. That's why they wanted this to be a Christian nation. And so, no, the struggle session is not about I'm persecuted because I'm a Jew. No, it was, you know what? I'm in prison, Paul says. He's about to give his life at the testimony of Jesus. He's going to be beheaded by Nero just a very short period of time, right before, right after he wrote this. But he said, I'm thankful that the gospel is preached and the gospel will progress even while I'm in jail. Even though there's wrongs committed against me, they falsely accused him. The gospel has con- continued to go on. So what is the next point? Sin. Is it collective? No, it's not collective. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Every individual, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an answer to how we've lived, whether it be good or bad. Romans chapter 14, 11, 12. That's exactly what it teaches. As I live, saith the Lord, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us must give an account of himself to God. Sin or responsibility is not collective. It is individual. And we will stand before God individually to give an account, Romans 14, 11, and 12. So how do we rectify ourselves? How do we rectify all of this? We must come to Christ. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's what we need to be about. That's what we need to have in place of being woke. And would that our colleges would turn in that direction because, interestingly enough, the Ivy League colleges, all of them founded to make preachers, to make people who are preaching the gospel, but that's not what's going on now. They're all about wokeness, Marxist revolution. How are we going to turn it around? We better get busy saving souls for Christ.